Welcome, everybody, though, to part two of our series, I Give Up. Some of you are saying this is more relevant this week than it was last week, right? This is a series for me, but I just want to encourage you and welcome you again to church. And I like to do this every service that we have. I want to welcome those of you in the room, but also those watching online. So how about a church? Can we welcome each other to church today? Come on, awesome. Go ahead and grab out your Bible and your notes. We believe in taking notes here at Victory. We want to give you something to reference, something to grow with, something to go back and look at as you take this spiritual journey. If you like technology, you can download the Victory Church app uh, on any platform and click on this weekend's message, a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes. I like fill-in-the-blank, so I will always provide you with fill-in-the-blank versions of the notes, everybody. And so we'll, we'll go on today. But I want everybody to vote with me here at the outset, all right? Everybody vote with me. How many of you know a compulsive complainer? Anybody know a compulsive complainer? Lots of us, right? You can tell this is going somewhere good today, all right? You can already already feel it. Most of us know somebody just complain about everything. If you don't have your hand raised, you might be a compulsive complainer. And you might be unaware of that fact, all right? So it just might be something we can help you grow with today. But all of us know somebody who seems to have the spiritual gift of complaining just seem to have it in their life. They complain about the weather. They complain about the restaurants they go to, right? The food is never hot enough or cold enough. The weight is never fast enough. It's, it's never something. They complain about their schools. They complain about their church. They complain about their kids, right? They complain about everything in their life. Y'all know what I'm talking about. No matter what it is, they find a reason to complain. Some people complain about how you put the toilet paper on the toilet paper roll, Which I have to say is a pretty legitimate complaint. Come on, somebody. We just have to establish in church today that it is over, not under, in the name of the Lord, right? Come on. It's a spiritual... I'm just... Anybody who gets their toilet paper like this needs prayer, all right, everybody? Anybody? And and this is a place where you can find freedom if that is your issue, all right? That's just... But a lot of stories in the Bible about complainers. A lot of stories in the Bible about people who always had to find a reason to complain. You can go back all the way to the beginning of the book of Genesis. You find Adam complaining about the woman that God had put into his life. And come on, some of you have done that. Lord, it was that woman you gave me that made me do this. That serpent over there, he's the... He's the culprit. Adam complaining about everyone that God had placed into his life. Job was a great character in the Old Testament. Went through a bunch of trouble and actually led him in Job chapter 10, verse 1. And he said, I loathe my very life. Some of you can identify with that. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Some of us know some people who speak out of the bitterness of their soul. Some of us have been the person who has spoken out of the bitterness of our soul. And we're going to fix some things today. All right? I'm going to pastor you just a little bit today. Some weeks I preach, some weeks I pastor, all right? And you might not like me very much by the end of this, but if I truly love you, then it won't matter all that much, all right, everybody? Because some of us give free reign to our bitterness. Some of us give free reign to our complaints. Some of us just let it fly, all right? We're just going to complain about what we want to complain about. We are Frank Costanza at Festivus, right? I got a lot of problems with you people, and you're going to hear about them. Some of us, that's the way that we live our lives. That's the way that we speak. And if you look at the nation of Israel, we're going to go back in the Old Testament. They go through an incredible story. They have incredible miracles that happen in the nation of Israel. Remember the story, they're in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And then God sends a deliverer, Moses. We read about that last week. It's a, to free them from their bondage. And Moses shows up and there's plagues and miracles after miracle. And all these incredible things happen. 
until it culminates right where they have their backs at the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is coming to bring them back into slavery and it looks like all hope is lost. And then what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. And the Bible says that the dry land, they walk across in the middle of the sea. This miracle happens. And then, of course, the horse and the rider follow after them. And you all know this on the horse and the rider, right? They fell into the sea. Anybody? Anybody want to remember that song? All right. There we go. Us five will have our old school church this morning. All right, everybody. It's a good song. We'll bring that back on a Sunday, maybe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not bringing that one back. All right. But but the, the secret of this is the children of Israel, they have these miracle after miracle. that, have, And then not just the Red Sea parts. They come through in the horse and the rider. Not any of that. Not just that. Now other miracles start to happen, like food starts falling from heaven. It starts covering the ground, right? Bread from heaven, manna that falls to them. Their shoes, like their Jordans, don't wear out. Their, their shoes are clean. Their clothes start to grow with them. They don't wear out. Miracle after miracle happens for the children of Israel. And yet in the midst of all of them, unbelievably, they find reasons to complain. They find reasons to grumble. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, in the desert, it says the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. We wish that we were dead. And there we sat around pots of meat. And I just want to pause for a moment, all right, in these 21 days and have a moment of silence for pots of meat. All right, everybody, for those of you that are on a food fast, those of you like doing a liquid or a Daniel fast, I just want to pause and just honor you, right, and talk about pots of meat. Because you, you don't care what meat is in the pot, right? You're in. You're just, doesn't matter. Two weeks, baby. you got two weeks left. All right, so pots of meat. And we ate all the food that we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And I, I kind of feel that way as a pastor going into a fast. I feel like people say this to us, right? You have brought us to starve in the desert. Now, if you're in this kind of thing, if you've had this kind of story, you see this with the children of Israel. They have miracle after miracle. They have everything that they want. All their stuff is met. They were seeing it, though, through this lens of negativity and still complaining. No matter what God did for them, no matter what miracle God brought them through, they always saw it through this negative lens of it was better in Egypt. And they always continue to grumble and to complain. The truth is we can always find a reason to complain. We can always find, if we want to live a divisive life, and if we don't want the favor of God on our life, and if we want to ruin our relationships and ruin our potential, and if we want all of those things to come upon our own head, then we need to keep complaining. But if we want the favor of God in our life, if we want all that he has for us, if we want our potential to be reached, we want to actually change the world around us instead of just speaking about change, we want to actually see lives changed for Christ, then we need to, in 2021, give up complaining. We need to eradicate it from our lives. We need to identify it as a problem and then by the power of God, help each other, our relationships, help our church, help our lives as Christians and give up complaining. And you say, well, why is it important in the first place? If you're taking notes today, jot it down. First thing we find in scripture is complaining offends the heart of God. Our complaining offends the heart of God. He's our father and I want you just to pause for a moment, you who are parents, and think about that concept. And think about the last time that you made a large sacrifice for your children. 
The last time you did something incredible for them, maybe you forked over a lot of money, right, and went out to eat, or maybe you bought those theme park tickets, or maybe, right, you bought clothes for school or Christmas toys. The last time you made a large sacrifice for your children, and come on, somebody, what did they do in the midst of that large sacrifice? They complained. Come on. They found what was wrong with that situation. They complained. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too whatever. They started to complain. And you wanted to do as every parent wants to do when a child complains. And that is give them one of those God bless you's right in the midst of that thing that they are complaining about. I think that's kind of how God feels towards us. Watch this in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships. In the hearing of the Lord. How I many that's a bad place to complain about your hardships. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. And then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. God's fire burns hot, everybody. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. When there is complaining in the camp, the fire of God burns hot. He gets really frustrated after all that he's done for us. And we still choose, in light of all of that, to complain. And if we continue complaining, the second thing I want you to see, jot it down if you're taking notes, complaining can carry significant consequences. So not only does it offend the heart of God, but there are consequences that come along with it. Now, the first thing is the practical side of it, all right? There are practical consequences when you become a complainer, and most of us know these by common sense. And that is when you are a compulsive complainer, you become toxic to the people around you and you start to ruin or push away every relationship in your life. You start to ruin it. In fact, you'll drive people away when you become a complainer. It's kind of like spiritual bad breath, if you think about it, all right, everybody? If you've ever been around somebody who just has really foul, just like halitosis type breath, right? It is like you don't want to be around. You don't want to have conversations, right? You can Zoom call, right, if you need to talk to them. And you've ever had that. It's like, get away from me. It's the same way with complaining, and that is in your relationships. You will start to drive people away as you drive everyone around you crazy. As you drive the world around you, if you are a compulsive complainer, in fact, Proverbs even says that a man would rather live in the desert. In Proverbs, it says a man would rather live in the desert than dwell in the house with a complaining and arguing woman. Come on, somebody. That's our Valentine's Day verse for this year. We're going to put that on the cards. Isn't it true, though? We would rather live in isolation. I don't care which spouse it is. You'd rather live in isolation than in the house with a compulsive complainer than to be around. And so we push these people away. But other than just the practical consequences, there are deep spiritual ramifications as well. Watch this in Numbers chapter 14, verse 27. How long, the Lord is speaking, will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I'll do to you the very thing I heard you say. Come on. Nobody wants that. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. None of you are getting the promise. That's what he's saying to the children of Israel. Now, obviously, this is the Old Testament. These are the nation of Israel. This is after a long season of grumbling and complaining. And so I can't draw a conclusive, compulsive argument. I can't draw that from saying if you are a complainer, then the blessing of God is just totally gone from your life. I can't say that because that's what happened to them out in the desert. What I can say is that some of us are missing out on some of the things God has for us because we are complainers. That we are forfeiting God's best because we are choosing to complain in every season of our life. That we are choosing in the words that we are saying and the things that we are embracing We are forfeiting God's best for our lives, the promises God has for us. And it's easy when we get ourselves in that negative place, it's easy to have that momentum 
to continue to be in a negative place. Sociologists call this the confirmation bias. That when you have a perspective or a lens you see the world through, you will start to find reasons to add to it. And so if you see the world through a negative lens, you will always find reasons to add to that, that season or that idea of negativity. You will always find things. And we argue and we fight against this all the time here at the church. And that is people will come. People will come to church and maybe they haven't been in a while or maybe they've just never been at all. And they'll show up and they have preconceived notions of what the church is. And so they're always looking for things to confirm that. And so they'll come in and think, you know, the church is judgmental. And so if I don't believe the way that they do or I don't speak the way that they do, then nobody will want to hang out with me. Nobody will love me. Nobody will include me. Or they see the church, they say, well, the church is always pointing those fingers. And so I can't show any part of my life because I just I know what they're like. Or they'll say by the end of this service, right, they're going to beat me up and take my money because the church is all about money. That's all they want. And so constantly we are having to fight against preconceived notions, against confirmation bias, even in the church. And listen to me, if you have a negative attitude, there will always be reasons for you to be upset. You can always find something to confirm your bias. You can always find something to add to that, to the negative attitude. And so we begin to fight against that. Not only that, we begin to fight against this idea. And this was fascinating to me. As sociologists study confirmation bias, another thing they're studying is that in America, by and large, we are kind of up against it because we are so blessed. And they say that the more blessed a culture is or a person is, the more likely they are to complain. Come on, somebody. We, we get that backwards sometimes. But the more blessed it seems, the more likely they are to complain. And not only that, but sociologists are studying. They're saying that now in America, we're having smaller and smaller families. And so by and large, and this is not new maybe, but by and large, the idea is happening in family homes in America that we used to have goals and missions of the family. That the overarching mission of the family was above everything else and that it had a goal to accomplish. And the children would just kind of get on board with that. But now that the homes are a little bit smaller, we're starting to have kid-centric families. Where the family is reorganizing around the will and the, the goals and the missions of the individual children. And I'm just telling you, complaining comes from that place. We begin to teach ourselves and our kids that the world revolves around them. That the story is all about them and that they are the center of it all. Complaining comes out of that place. We need to begin to retrain our perspective. we got to retrain our confirmation bias because it's incredibly toxic, not only in the practical, but in the spiritual. Because we begin to believe that we're the center of the story. We begin to believe that God exists to just fulfill every whim that we have, that he's up on his throne going, oh, 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 they're, they're upset again, I better fix it. That somehow we exist and somehow God exists to just answer every prayer. And if he doesn't, then I'm going to complain because he's just there. And it's not true. It's not true. We're not the center of the story. We're not the center of anything of that. We are called to fulfill his purpose. We're called to fulfill his plan, that God is the center of creation, that it's all about him. That's what it means to be a Christian. That we are no longer the center of the story, that we have signed up for something bigger than ourselves. That Christ is at the center. That it's about him. And yes, he has our best intentions in mind. Yes, he has a good plan for our lives. But he is the end all, be all. And we are not. told you you wouldn't like me by the end of this, all right? But the question is, what do we do in the balance of that? Because if we're going to retrain our confirmation bias, if we're going to change the way maybe we were raised, if we're going to change some of these things, and we, we have this idea that, you know, every need should be met, we're going to try to get rid of those things, we exist to fulfill his purpose. We exist to fulfill God's purpose on the earth. And so Jesus even said there would be times of life that we would not like. 
There would be things that come against us that we would not like. And yet sometimes we subscribe more to Job in the Old Testament and we say, I'll give free reign to my complaint because we live in a culture that seems to foster that. In fact, there are pockets of culture where it's actually accepted, it's encouraged to bring your complaint, to bring everything about your complaint. And in these public forums or these social media or whatever it is, we get a voice to just voice everything we hate or we don't like about somebody else. And we believe with Job and we begin to say, I'll give free reign to it. I'll speak out of the bitterness of my soul. We even create interest groups. Some of us, our friendships are based around what we hate. Everything that we have, every friendship, we, we, you think, well, why am I friends? It's because we hate the same. We, we hate that restaurant or we hate that group of people or we hate that motive or that motion. We hate that movement. We, we just, we're just known this is what we hate. And so we're going to join together to be known for that. And we all hang out and we talk about it. We do. And I just want to ask you this morning, what are we going to do to overcome this pervasive and deeply spiritual issue in our culture? Well, I'm so glad you asked, everybody. All right. Philippians chapter two. I'm going to give you a couple of things this week, a couple of simple points. I promised you last week this week would be complex. I lied, everybody. It's actually simple. All right. We're going to outline Philippians two. And we're going to see out of verse 14, 15 and 16. We're going to see the plan, what to expect And what we should do so we can eradicate this, not only from our church, but from our culture. All right, so we'll jump in verse 14. It says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything. Number one, jot it down if you're taking notes. We have to realize the goal is no complaining. He didn't say like minimize complaining. He didn't say like kind of make sure you just keep your complaining in check. No, he says do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, I did a Greek study this week on this verse. And it's fascinating. The word everything in the Greek, it means everything. All right, everybody. The word everything, it's real deep here at Victory. The word everything, it means everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And we have to work on this because complaining is natural to us. You know, we're raising three children in our home and we are doing our best to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And they all go through stages or actually I should say they've all been through the stages, right, of taking naps and not taking naps and kind of growing. And we still got one who's too old to take naps, but who still needs a nap. Come on, somebody. And that's just, I think that just goes all throughout life. You just might be too old, but you still need a nap. And so every so often it's like, okay, Time to take a nap, everybody. Time to take a nap. Now, what I never get, come on, you parents, you know this. What I never get is, thank you, Father. That is a great idea. I I can't believe, good planning on your part. I would be cranky by about 6.15 tonight. And so I just want to say thank you for that. I will go and find my blankie and rest. Come on. I never never get that. What do we get instead? Oh, come on, right? I just, I don't need a nap. I'm not tired. I'm just, this is the worst day ever. I just, I can't, I don't want to, do, I, do, I just, I come on. I do. To which I respond, this is why you need a nap. <laughs> Anybody who acts like this must immediately go to sleep, all right? That's just the rule in our household. But so many of us are like that in our spiritual lives. And we just give free reign. We make the choice that we're going to complain no matter what God says. I'm going to give free reign to my complaint. I'm going to speak out of the bitterness of my soul. And now confirmation bias gives us plenty of reasons to complain. We say, well, I'm just stating the facts. I'm not complaining. I'm just stating the obvious. I'm just, I'm just a fact stater. That's just what my life is. No, we're complaining. And Paul is writing saying, do everything without complaining. 
And I actually want to encourage you, a little discipline this week. When you're wanting to complain about something, you want to complain about your marriage, you want to complain about your job, you want to complain about your kids, you want to complain about whatever it is, as you begin to complain, which is always interesting to me, all the things people complain about, because people with jobs complain about their job. People without jobs are like, I'll take that job, right? I'll, I'll gladly like shove that job over here, right? Just come on. I think sometimes people, without, people with houses complain about their house. People without houses are like, what is wrong with you, right? I would love to have that house. I think sometimes our complaining is a little ridiculous. But I want to just encourage you this week, as you get into that place, as you get on the threshold of complaining, let's take a moment and just sit and write everything we have to be thankful about that situation. Let's actually write it out. Don't just kind of think it in your mind. Actually take out your phone and type it in. Do something and write down the things. Because I think what you're going to find is you have far more reasons not to be upset than you do to be. You have far more reasons not to complain than you do. We have to retrain our confirmation bias. We have to be people that always speak to the good. People that see what God is doing in the world. People that begin to see what God is doing in our own lives. We have to let our confirmation bias come from that perspective instead of this area of negativity. Verse 29 of Ephesians, it said, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Come on, somebody. This is the Bible, not me saying this. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So I want you to do a couple of practical things. First thing is write that list. First thing is figure out the things, the fact that maybe you have a house, the fact that you've got a family, the fact that God is still blessing you. And I think you're going to find there are more incredible things happening, more miracles like the children of Israel than whatever it is that you're complaining about. And then I want you, when negativity starts to come out of your mouth, I want you to bite your tongue. I want you to literally bite your tongue and then try to say whatever it is that you were trying to say. Because I promise you, it is hard to complain when you bite your tongue. It is hard to let fly from the bitterness of your soul when your tongue is clenched between your teeth. All right, everybody? As I want you to bite, and you're going to find it's a lot easier to restrain yourself. might be painful for a few of you, but it's a lot easier. Learning that God has called us not to complain all the time, but to be people of God. To be thankful for the things that we have. To compliment rather than to tear down. To build up rather than to destroy. We are called to be children of God. And so we're going to be positive more than negative. We're not going to come and see the world through this negative bias. We're not going to let that thing try to dictate everything that we say. We're not going to live from a place of bitterness. We're going to follow and have everything that God has for us. Because to be honest with you, and I'm just asking the question, when did complaining ever really help anything? When, When did your complaining ever really change anything about your life? Like after complaining about a bunch of stuff, letting it fly, when have you ever thought like, thank you, Lord, I feel closer to you now? When you started yelling out, thank you, Father, I have the peace now in my life. I'm just so glad I said all those awful things about everyone and everything because now I feel closer to the Lord. I just, I just know, when did it ever change anything? It's what's interesting to me. A lot of times people want to just sit and complain instead of actually getting up and doing anything to change. Just want to kind of sit and let fly, right? Instead of actually making the difference or changing in their lives. Instead of putting the energy into speaking to the positive, just want to sit and complain. Let's not do that, church. Let's not that be us. Let's realize the goal in Scripture isn't to complain less. I'm not saying, hey, church, in 2021, let's just minimize our complaining. Let's No, the, the goal is no complaining. The goal is none No complaining at all. Let's be known as a church, as a people that speak to the positive. 
Let's be known as a people that believe in God's promise. Let's be known as a people that leave behind the negative confirmation bias and seek after what Christ has for us. Because I promise you, if you follow this message, you will be weird in the culture that we live in. Because it's not happening around us. This idea of no complaining, I promise you, it is not the normal in our culture. And so we have to begin to retrain ourselves. We go on verse 15 of Philippians chapter 2. We need to do this, do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Told you it was going to be a good verse today, all right, everybody? Nothing, do nothing with complaining and arguing. Eradicate that from your life so that you can become blameless and pure. I want you to see this, that you become blameless and pure. There's a whole bunch of things that could go there to say if you want to be blameless and pure. Paul had a long list of things he could have written there. Don't go there. Don't hang out with them. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't. But he didn't. He didn't put those things in this verse. He said, do everything without complaining and arguing. He said, if you want to aspire to be blameless and pure, then you have to aspire to do everything without arguing or complaining. Do everything without arguing. Because God wants to do something in us that we could be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That you would be incredibly different from the culture around you. And that's stated. You would be different from the crooked generation that is around you. You would be different if you did everything without arguing and complaining. We have to become blameless and pure. Number two, what I want you to see is we need God to touch our hearts. So first we have to understand the goal is no complaining. And then the second step is we need God to touch our hearts. I want you to work on the external this week. Make lists, bite your tongue, all of that. But honestly, that will only work for a few days after this message. All right, it's only going to work for three or four days. If you want long-reaching effects in your life, you really want to be a person who's free from arguing, from complaining. You really want that change to take place, and it has to be something that God does on the inside of us because we have to recognize where the complaining and the arguing comes from. We have to recognize where our words are coming from. We have to realize it's coming from inside of us. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said, For the out the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now that is a convicting verse, I think, for 100% of us. That if we were to go back for a week of our life, we were to go back and we were to see the words that we spoke, and we would know Jesus is saying, those words that you said are coming out of the overflow of your heart. That the words that you said to others, the words that you said to whoever, the words that you said in hurt, in condemnation, the words that you spoke this week came out of your heart. I had an interesting time in high school one time. We were all supposed to do a sociological experiment. And I didn't know that one of the other students had chosen to write down everything that I said for a day as their sociological experiment. How many don't like that? All right, everybody? How many? And so the next day they got up to present to the class and they began to just read it in front of everybody. And I began to get a picture of everything I had said the day before. And I mean, I didn't like it. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I did not, I did not enjoy that sociological experiment. All right, everybody. I don't think you would either. I really don't. I don't think that you would enjoy seeing your last week. If we were to put it up on the screens up here and say, this is so-and-so, we're going to read everything they said. But Jesus is saying, when you said it, it came out of the overflow of your heart. So it's not a thinking issue. It's not just an external, we can just fix this with, with behavior modification. This is something that is deeply wrong spiritually inside of us. 
And if we want it to change, we have to allow God to change our hearts. And this comes out of this me-centric idea that we talked about. That the story is all about me, that everything is all about. And so we can restrict it for a season. Oftentimes, we have habits or we bite our tongue or we do whatever it is. We can restrict it. But so often, that never lasts. It's just a patch. We need God to change our hearts because we're speaking out of our hearts. And for some of us, there's some damage there. For some of us, we've walked through some things. For some of us, we've experienced or some seasons. And there's some damage that we're speaking out of. There's some bitterness deep-rooted that's coming out in our words. We have to begin to believe and begin to say, God, I need you to change that. Because some people have that brokenness deep inside. Some of us feel that and we're like, hey, I don't know what you want from me. This is just the way that it is. This is just the way that I am. I don't have any more energy to try to change it. I need a miracle. Well, thankfully, everybody, we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God who can make a change. Show you in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, all glory to God who is able. He is able, even if you are not, through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's the God that we serve. The God who's at work within us. You say, well, I want you to see that joy can never be based on what's happening to you. The joy that we have as Christians is not based on what's happening to you. It's not that because if it was based on the happenings to you, then the devil could control your mood. And for some of you, he did. This past week, this past month, he could control your mood just by allowing things to come against you. Just by changing the circumstances, he could change your joy. And all he has to do is send trouble into your life and then it'll ruin your perspective. It'll ruin all that. If everything is external, if it's based on what's happening to you. Paul was writing this letter in Philippians, just to give you some context. Sitting in prison, chained to a smelly Roman guard. Come on, somebody. Writing this letter and saying, do everything without complaining. Do every, if anybody had a reason to complain, it was Paul. They had any reason to do it, and yet he writes an entire book trying to convince you that that is not part of the child of God's life. That we do everything without complaining. And I just pray that God would do a deep internal work inside of us. That yes, there would be some external change in your life, but not that it would be legalistic or rule-driven. Not just, well, pastor said I need to make these lists and bite my tongue, and I'm just going to do that for this week because he said so. I'm just going to try. I'm going to read. I'm going to try. Well, trying is great, but it only lasts so long. We need God to do an actual change in our lives if we want it to be long term, because out of the overflow of the hearts, we need God to help us to stop these words, to change our hearts. The overflow now is what he wants to come out. And then verse 15, it brings us to 16 now. Then you will shine among them. So you're, you're in the middle of a crooked and wicked generation. You're different because you're not complaining or arguing. You're pure and blameless. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain for you. Watch this. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Now, that's not really in a language we understand today. But in the Greek, what he's saying is, even if I have to give my life for you, even if I have to give up everything for you, even if I have to do that, I still count it joy. I still count it as I didn't labor in vain. If you can do that, if you cannot complain or argue, you can be lights and stars in this generation. And then he says, and you also... I'm glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 
Even in the midst of these things, he's saying, even if I have to give up everything, even if we have to lay down our lives, even if all hell breaks loose around us, we still have our joy because it's not based on what's happening to us, but what God is doing in us and through us. He's saying our joy is not based on the happenings around us. He said, that's not what it's based on. He said, even if I have to give my life, even if you have to give your life, even if all hell is breaking loose around us, and listen to me, church, it is. It is breaking loose all around us. Even though that's happening, we need to be stars in a generation that is crooked. We need to be stars and light of Christ in a generation that is dark. We have to have this in our lives. We have to be stars in the sky because number three, as we close, jot it down, we have to let our light Touch the world. We need to recognize that the goal is no complaining. We have to work this out of our life. That's, that's how we're going to be a witness in a wicked generation. It's how we're going to have our light shine. We need God to change our hearts, but so that he can use us to change the world around us. That God is calling us to be pure and blameless. He's calling us to make a difference. Not just so that we can be different, so that we can make a difference in the world around us. But listen to me, church. Some of us have ruined our witness by the words that we are speaking. Some of us have ruined the witness that we have from the words that we are speaking to others. And we can clap ourselves on the back all we want. We can like our posts all we want and not see one soul move closer to salvation. We have ruined our witness with the words. And I'm telling you, it should not be that way. That we are called to let our light shine. We are called to be pure and blameless in a crooked generation. That no matter how far the culture goes, no matter how crooked and no matter how that is around us, that we are standing before our creator. We are called not to complain, not to argue, but to be pure and blameless before him. And I have to tell you, this message is extremely personal for me. Because there was a season of my life where I hung out with people who were very negative and cynical. And it was kind of cool to be negative and cynical. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I finally woke up one day and realized that the words that I was saying, was saying the things I was saying was destroying the people in my life. That it was destroying and the things I was making fun of that I had no right to make fun of. And it was destroying those around me. And I want you to hear me today that if you are a critical, negative person, if that's what the overflow is of your life, you are destroying more than just your own life. You are affecting more than just yourself. Oftentimes, it's your relationships, your families, your kids. You're destroying more than just yourself. We need to wake up, church. We need to wake up to the words that we're saying. That's not God's plan for our life. We want to have the favor of God on our life. We want to have the life that God is calling us to live. We want to make a difference. We want to let our light shine. We actually want to make a difference for the kingdom of heaven. We want to see souls saved. We want to see people come to a knowledge of Jesus. If we really want that church, we have to watch the things that we say. That we begin to pray, God, give us the power. Give us the ability to see our lives through the lens of what Christ has done for us. That your confirmation bias wouldn't be through negativity. It wouldn't be through this warped picture of the world. It wouldn't be through what anyone else gave you to see through. No matter what that is, your lens would be through what Christ has done for us. That we would begin to see the world through that lens, to see people as broken, to see them as people that God loves, and to see them as souls that need to see the kingdom of heaven. That's who we're called to, to be as a church.
And we would not be a church that's dominated by what happens around us. We wouldn't be a church that's dominated by the new cycle. We wouldn't be a church that's dominated by the circumstances of this life. But that our joy would rest in Christ Jesus. That he is calling us to something greater. That's why, church, my prayer this year that in 2021, we as a church, we as a people would give up complaining. Would you bow your heads with me as we close today? God, we just ask you to do something different in our hearts. Do the thing that only you can do, God. We recognize that there's only so much we can do without you, that we need you to do the supernatural. We recognize that the words that we are saying are coming out of our hearts. And so we ask you to do a work anew this Sunday. Change us, Lord. Father, we repent for the words that we spoke this week. We repent for the words we spoke last year. We repent, God. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus and we repent. Change us, Lord. Every head bowed, there are some of you here today and you're just recognizing the Holy Spirit's whispering to your heart that you have been living from a place of negativity. That you have been speaking and destroying relationships from that place of negativity. And I want to pray that God would set us free. I want to pray that God would change us. That he would be the change in our hearts. But first, I want to ask those of you who are here today and you're far from God and you find yourself in a place of negativity. And I just want you to know that you don't have the power to change yourself. It's not possible for you to enact heart change in your own life. Only God can do that. And so I want to help you with that before you go today. And that happens just with a prayer of surrender to him. Because Jesus said, when you surrender your life to him, he comes and makes all things new. That he can breathe new life into you. New life into your relationship. New life into your heart. That he can change you. The Bible says that Jesus, he can heal the brokenhearted. And so if that's you today, if you say, I want to pray that prayer of surrender. I want to give my life to Jesus. But some of you are far from God and you're saying, what does Jesus have to do with me? Jesus is the perfect son of God, the lamb that was slain. He was killed on the cross for your sins. And then he was risen from the dead. That anyone, that anyone, that includes you, no matter where you came from, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, it includes you that anyone could call in the name of Jesus and be saved. And so if that's you today, no one else is looking around. Every head is bowed. It would be my honor to pray with you. If you say, I want to surrender to him. I want his change in my life. I want his rule in my life. I just want to pray this prayer with you. And I can give you the words. It's your job to say them and to mean them. So come on, church. Let's pray with those who want to make that decision. No one prays alone. Just say these words. Say, dear Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of all my sins. All my mistakes, I surrender to you. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. 
Now, God, I pray for every person in here. God, I thank you for every single person watching online or in this room. I thank you that we are going after everything that you have for us. I praise you, Lord, for how incredible your plan is for us. And we thank you for all that you're going to do. Lord, we want to achieve everything that you've laid out for us. God, we don't want to be hindered by any season of complaining. We don't want to forfeit God's best by the words that we are speaking. And so we thank you, God, that you can do a new work. We thank you that you can change hearts. We thank you, God, as the goal is no complaining in our lives, that you will change us from the inside out. And we pray that you do all of this so that you can use us to make a difference. That as we pray, God, we ask you, Lord, in faith, for lives that are going to be changed on the other side of our obedience. That lives that are going to be touched because we followed after everything you have for us. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. And all God's church said, amen and amen. Come on, church, can we put our hands together for what God has done today?